Hey, can we just give it up for Evergreen? <laughs> for the mountains? Honestly, um, Bill and Elisa uh, filmed that in, in literally one day. That's all it took to find all that beauty and all that. I mean, it's just like they had way more time and they're like, we're done because Evergreen's so amazing right now. Um, I love to hear people's stories about how they came to live in the mountains. Um, Christy and I have a pretty fun one. Um, we had just gotten married. We're just out of college. And uh, about two or three weeks after we got married, we came to know about a, um, a position that was open to be a, a youth, like a youth leader or youth pastor at a church in Kittredge, the little church in Kittredge. And we loved, we kind of liked this area. We'd spent some time in, in Evergreen in college and we said, you know, that'd be fun. Let's, let's do that. And I was, I also, it was like a 10 hour a week job description, which is perfect fit my fishing and skiing and hiking schedule really well. Christy didn't love that so much, but that's a different story. Um, but uh, we, we took that job and, and we did it and we, we thought it would be temporary. It was kind of like an internship kind of thing. And what happened over the six or eight months that followed was we fell in love with the town, but we also fell in love with the, the students and the leaders that we were working with and the people who were here. And there's one point in time in particular when uh, I'd just gotten back from a camping trip uh, with, with the students. And it was kind of this moment where there was a lot of connections made between students and leaders, and it was just a really good time. And I came home, and Christy wasn't on the trip. And I was, I was like, I got to tell you about this. So I did, and we were newlyweds, so I was super romantic back then. And uh, I grabbed her, and, and we, we went to a, a lake down in Lakewood at night, at night, full moon over the water. It was beautiful. It was just us. And I told her all about this camping trip. And I said, honey, I really feel like we should stay doing this. I love this town. I love these people. But I really feel like we should live there that we, it's important for us to live where we're trying to connect with people. And, um, and she's like, honey, you make like $400 a month, literally, okay? You make $400 a month, like we can't afford to live up there. And we're like, well, let's pray about it. And, and this, is, this has only happened a couple times in my life, but it was a Tuesday night, and we prayed, Lord, um, we would love, if it was your will, we'd love to live in this town where we're, we're hanging out with folks and uh, so if you would make that happen, that would be great. And, and Christy prayed a prayer, Lord, make Josh make more money and you know, something like that. Amen. Um, that was on a Tuesday night. I kid you not, Wednesday, I get a phone call from a guy named Ben McComb, who was also a guy who was working with youth in the area. And he and I partnered some, with some stuff uh, in, in, the, you know, like in, in the months before. And, and he said, Josh, what are you doing living down in Lakewood? I said, I'm driving a lot. And he said, well, I tell you what, there's a, my neighbor across the street from me. They're gone most of the year. They're retired. They go visit their kids and their grandkids. They have this basement apartment in their house that they might be willing to rent to you. They're looking for a renter. The only thing is it would cost you about $250 a month to have this basement apartment with a view of Mount Evans. Is that okay? And I, I literally, I, I, I went like this. I was, Christy, $250 yeah, Ben, um, I have to look at my finances, but I think, I think we could probably swing that, you know, highway robbery. I mean, just taking them to the, the cleaners. Well, that was Wednesday. We met, uh, we, ben, ben called. By Saturday, we had met with the family. Their name was the Penningtons. And um, we met with them, and on Sunday, we basically signed the lease, and we were going to be moving up to Evergreen. Isn't that a fun story of, of, of getting up into the mountains? 
Um, those, those are dear friends of ours to this day, and we tell them all the time because we lived there for three years. For like three, I think they upped the rent to $300 a month like two years in. We're like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, we lived there for three years, and through that, we were able to go to get our master's degrees and that kind of stuff, and it was just a blessing. And we tell them all the time, without you guys, we wouldn't be here. There's just no way you made Evergreen possible for us. Um, so that's our Evergreen story. I thought it'd be fun to pass the mic around, have like an open mic time, if, if time allowed, which it doesn't. It'd be fun to have us each kind of tell our own story because it's kind of fun talking to people about how you get you know, to live in Evergreen because it's such a special place. It's a great place to raise kids. It's a great place to, to grow old. It's a great place to, to spend a lot of time. Um, here, here's the thing. I've, I've noticed a couple observations about mountain folk. And, and if you're not, if you don't live in Evergreen, I realize there's some of us in the room that don't live up in the mountains. You're going to enjoy this next portion because you're going to kind of get to poke fun at us a little bit of Evergreen Mountain folks. Yeah, this is, by the way, this is my sister right here who was just singing. Um, you probably couldn't tell because we don't look anything alike. But um, it, yeah, she, she was kind enough to come and lead this morning. And um, we talk about this all the time. Like she, we try to get her to move up here. She lives in Littleton. And it's, it's like, there, see, there's some things. There's some things I've observed about people who live in the mountains. If you, if you want to live in the mountains, you have to, when you, when, there's something that happens when you move up to the mountains. You lose touch with reality a little bit, okay? First off, you lose touch with reality. You lose all sense of, t- of time and distance. You start to say things like, oh, it's not too far. I'm only tw- I, I only live 20 minutes away from Safeway. You realize anybody in Denver, they're like, 20 minutes? Are you kidding me? And we're like, no, 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 it's only like two hours to DIA. It's only two hours. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know? And, and, then, and then when you move up here, you wonder why nobody comes to visit you, you know? You're like, because I, I live so close. You're like, dude, you, don't, you know, I'm only 10 minutes from I-70. You're like, you're not 10 minutes from I-70. You're closer to Gunnison than you are to I-70. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, we're just absurd. We, we lose touch with reality. We lose sense of, of time and we lose sense of, of distance. We, lose, we also lose a sense of, of what a house should cost because um, we have to deal with pricey real estate so much, um, no matter if it's rental or buying a house. It, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, like, you, you, maybe if you've, if you've done this before, you've had conversations with your, your wife, like, honey, you know, like looking on the internet, like, come look at this house. And she's like, uh-uh, how much is it? And you're like, well, yeah, but it's got a view of the Continental Divide. And she's like, yeah, but it's literally a cardboard box. Like, like uh, is it, it doesn't have four walls. It has three walls, honey. Like, like it, we should call that out, but we, we lose sense, we lose touch with reality when we live in the mountains because we want to live here so badly. Another thing we, we, uh, we, we lose a, a sense of is we, um, what, was the, oh, what was the other one that I'd written down? We lose a sense, oh, we lose a sense of what good weather is, Right? You know, we talk about, we, all, all that matters is, is we're 10 to 15 degrees cooler than Denver. Oh, it's, you know, in the mountains, we're like 10 to 15 degrees cooler than Denver. It doesn't matter if it's the dead of winter, you know, and then it shouldn't, you know, like that's not a good thing. It's like we're just cooler than, than and, and we live in this town, like, like and we, we try to convince ourselves that we actually have spring, but the reality is we don't. I've stopped calling March through May spring and calling it second winter. That's just what it is. I'm calling it what it is. Um, and, and it's because of the elevation. And, and we also do this funny thing in the mountains. We play the elevation game, you know, like the elevation wars. Like you go over to, someone comes over to your house and you're like, they're like, yeah, so what's your elevation here? And you're like, I don't know, like 7,600 feet or something. And they're like, oh, cool. 
I'm at 7,700. No big deal. I literally, the other day, heard somebody in King Supers, two people talking about their elevation. The guy's like, I live at 13,000 feet, man. We don't even try to bake cookies up there. It's impossible. It's just flat. And he's like, but if I drive fast, it only takes me 17 minutes to get to Safeway. It's like, what that? You know, why do we do that? The other thing we lose sense of is like what a lot of snow is. You remember that, that snow we got uh, a couple months ago in April that was like three to four feet? Did you notice that when you went around town talking to folks, that, that, that no one was talking about that storm, right? They're all talking about a storm that happened 15 years ago, you know? Oh, the big one. Ought two. I got a, you know, I, I, I got like a seven-footer. You know, like, and it's like, what, we can't talk about this? This isn't a lot of snow because you got seven feet at your house once? I mean, it's just ridiculous. We do funny things to live in the mountains. We lose touch with reality. And that's okay because it's worth it, right? People who live in the mountains, this, we understand. It's, it's, it's worth it. It's worth the driving. It's worth the cost. It's worth some of, some of the absurdities. Here's another thing that I've observed about um, mountain folks. And this is a little bit more, this is a little deeper. This is a little more personal. I think what I've observed, and tell me, tell me if you agree with this or not, but I think I've observed that there, there's a type of person who's drawn to living in the mountains. Um, and I think that type of person is the person who doesn't just want to live somewhere. They want to feel like they're living and being a part of something. I remember when, I was, when we moved out of the Pennington's house, we lived there for three years and had this amazing view. And what I was saddest about moving from that place was that view of, of the, 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 the snowy cap peaks. I, I said to Christy, I feel like at any, any given time throughout the year, especially with the seasons as they come and go, I feel like we got to see, we're, like we're just watching something unfold by living here. We're, we're part of something big, something majestic in this spot. And, and everybody has that, you know, whether that be uh, this time of year, there's a lot of things unfolding, right, between the hummingbirds and the elk and the, 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 the wildflowers are crazy awesome this spring. I think there's, there's something about us as people who want to live in the mountains that we're drawn to. Uh, we want to be part of Majestic. We want to, be, we want to feel small as we're part of this amazing, uh, what people of faith would call, creation. Uh, and, and that's why I'm really, really excited about this series, this new series that we're calling Love Where, Where You Live. Because of the type of people we are, I think that this message is, is going to resonate with us. Because basically what we're talking about with love where, we, where you live is that we're not just to enjoy living in Evergreen. But we, we, are, we, we, we should pursue partnering with the God who made Evergreen. That, that, that God didn't just make this town in this beautiful setting, but that he's actually up to something in this town, in this setting, and that we get to be a part. That's what love where you live is all about, is this question. It's almost like a what if. Is it possible? And, and, and maybe this is a newer idea for you if you're kind of checking out faith or you don't quite understand faith or church people. Like, like, but this is, this is at the heart of, of the Christian faith is this question of like, what if? Not, not what if did God create the world, but what if, what if God actually created the world and he's at, wanting, he's, he's at work in the world. He's up to something in the world and therefore in this town. And what if we could be a part 
that changes things for us, doesn't it? It starts to change the way we look at life. It starts to change the way we look at where we live. It's not just a house anymore if God is at work in our town. It's a neighborhood full of people that God loves. And you might be there for a reason. Is it po- See, people who love where they live, they, they think to themselves, is it possible that God put me right where I am, that I was able to find this house to buy or to rent for a reason? Even if I'm not going to be here forever, is it possible that this is very much on purpose? Love where you live is, is there's this question of what if, what if where you work isn't just by coincidence? It's not just a job. And, and, and this is good. If you, this is really good. If you don't like your job, this is great news right here. If you don't like your job, this is great news because, because this type of thinking, if you thought to yourself, you know, but what if God has me there? Yeah, I don't enjoy what I do, but I get to be, you think about the copious amounts of time you spend with some of the people you work with. Is that maybe on purpose? That God's like, oh, this is going to be so good. I want them to get that job so that she can be next to her. He can be next to him. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about like all of uh, everything that you, the things that you enjoy in life, the recreation, the things that you just find yourself doing on a Saturday morning? You ever thought to yourself that maybe that was like God actually giving you a gift, you know, say, I'm going to let them enjoy this and, and, and they can maybe even use that to connect with other people who enjoy that. Ever thought that that could be the case? What if that was the case? What if all of your stuff, your money, your time, your talent, and your resources, what if that was on purpose? What if God had, has actually let you lend that, to, he's loaning that to you for now, and he's kind of waiting to see what you do with it? And that, that shouldn't scare us, it should excite us. Like God trusts us enough to give us certain things in life. And it's possible to use these things. I mean, like this phone that I love so much. I love my phone. It's about a year old, and, in, in, and it's not as new as it once was. It's a little slower. The battery doesn't last as long. And in a year, this thing will be obsolete, probably, because I'll probably drop it in the water while I'm fishing. That's usually what happens, but that's, I don't want to talk about that. That stuff passes. All of it does. But what if we were to use it? What if, what if, what if God has given that, these temporal things for us to use that can make an eternal difference in somebody's life. See, that's what love where you live is all about. And I'm really, here, let's go here first. We're going to say it this way. Put Put those four words up on the board. Love where you live is an invitation, an invitation to look at your location, your vocation, your vacation, and your donation differently. Now, I know that's a ton of shuns, but bear with me here, because I think, I think this will actually maybe stick in your brain if you think about it. In fact, let's just say it together. Let's say location, vocation, vacation, donation. Love where you live is an opportunity. It's an invitation for us to think about our location, vocation, vacation, donation differently, to maybe see that those are things that can be used, that we can actually, through those four things, join God on what he's already doing in this awesome town. That, we can, that, that where we live, our location, is very, very important. And it's only for a time. You're not going to live there forever. But maybe, maybe during that time, you can, you can make a difference in somebody's life. College students, this is for you. Think, I need you to think about this because the college summertime for college students 
can feel like no man's land, right? Like your friends are not here, they're at, you know, where you're at college or whatever. Three months is not too little of a time for God to use you to do big things on, in this location if you're, if you're looking for it. Your vocation, that is what you do. This could be work, this could be school. That, that God has you at the school that you go to. That he has you at the, the work that you're at. Like, it's not just a job, it's a place that he wants you to be with people that he wants you to be around. And vacation, that, that's just what you enjoy doing. That doesn't, that doesn't, I'm not talking Cosmo, I'm talking like, yeah, what you do for a hobby. What, what you like to do recreationally. Is it possible that God gave that to you in order to connect with other people? And loving where you live is an invitation for you to see that differently and to use that differently. And then donation. This one I had a hard time. I just wanted to call this one money, but it's not a shun. So I, Christy's like, well, how about dough? Dough, like money, dough nation. But, and then I was like, that wouldn't be as cool. So we did donation, and, and that's this, your donation is basically what you have to give. Time, talent, money, resources. What do you have to give? And people who love where they live, they say, it might not be, look like much. It doesn't feel like much. But I'm going to give it. I'm going to use it to, 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 bring, to, to love the people around me. That's what love where you live is all about. And here's, here's who I'm most excited for with this series. If you're bored in life, and, I, and maybe bored's not the right word. Maybe just, maybe like if you're going, th- like there's, it's just, there's times where you feel like you're just going through the motions of life. Uh, I think this series, come to as much of this series in the coming weeks as you can. Because all I know is that these principles, and you can ask people who live this stuff out, these principles have a way to take the boring and make it awesome to take the simple, monotonous, everyday things of life and bring deep purpose and meaning and joy to it as we connect with others. So that, I'm really excited if you're, if you're kind of like, I'm just kind of bored in life. This is a series that you're going to enjoy. If you're bored, if, if another person this is for is if you're bored, if you found yourself yawning in church before, that is like maybe you grew up in the church and he's like, it's just, I, I feel like I should go. I'm not sure, I, but I don't really like it. Can I say that? Like, and you feel almost bad because you're bored. You know, like the idea of like, am I bored by God? Here's some good news. If you've been bored in church, it's probably not God that you were bored w- with. It was religion. And it was possibly religious people that you looked at them and said, I'm going to, you guys are over here. I'm going to be over here. It's just, there's just something that doesn't jibe. If that's you, this series is, is great because here's the thing. The, the, the experience you had, those people that, that, that you spent time with that are like, ah, it's probably nothing against them. They're probably good people, but they probably weren't loving where they live. Because when people do this, when we put those things up again, when, we, when people love with their location, their vocation, their vacation, and their donation, those are people that you like to be around. If nothing else, they're extremely generous, and they're really good friends. They're fun to be, but there's also a side to them that's kind of like, I'm interested to see why you're doing what you're doing. Why would you give up your time? Why would you give your money? That's hard-earned cash. Why would you do that for this person, for that person, for this thing, for, for me? Why would you give up your, your vacation time? Like, why would you worry about me? Like, 
See, when people live that way, it's interesting. So if you're bored at all, stick around. This is going to be a fun series, and this is going to bring some life to some things. The goal of this series is for us to, to each of us as much as possible, to, to, to look at our location, vocation, vacation, our donation differently. Now, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of people who lived this, who loved where they lived. Um, it, it's recorded in the book of Acts in the New Testament. The, it's the fifth book in, in the Bible, the fifth book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four, first four books. If you ever want to find out more about who Jesus is, you want to read about what he did in life, what he said, what he taught, those are great, those are great books to read about his, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts is, is a book that goes, is right after, follows chronologically right after what happened in the Gospels with Jesus Christ. And, and it's an exciting book. I was, when I was a kid, I thought it was axe, like chop a tree with an axe. It's not. It's axes and actions of the apostles or the, the people, the followers of Jesus. And this is after Jesus had died, from, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then for a period of, of like a couple months, he just would appear to people, even into groups of like from, from one person to 500 people at one time he, he, he he appeared to 500 people. And, and what's, what's cool about the, the, the book of Acts is they're, they're doing crazy things. They're pretty fired up. But who wouldn't be? After you just, in the last three years, these people, the, these apostles, these followers of Jesus, had watched Jesus come on the scene, do a whole bunch of miracles, feed a whole bunch of people out of nothing, Call, uh, call himself the son of God, say that he's the savior of the world, the Messiah. And then, and then not only that, he started teaching people, uh, this is, I want you to look at God as a, as a heavenly father. And then he, and then he, he also says stuff like, he, he also throw things every once in a while, which keeps things interesting for sure, because uh, he'd get mad at religious people a lot. And because he got religious people mad at him, they killed him. And, and he said, he even said, I mean, can you imagine somebody saying this? This is going to happen. I'm going to die. And they're like, whatever that means, Jesus. You're, yeah, I, I don't know. And then he called his death, and then he died. They watched him die. And then, like, days later, some of them were eating a meal with him. And then, and then he'd just show up every once in a while. And he, he never knew where he'd show up. And then at the very last time he was together with his people, he, he pulled, pulled those folks together, and he said, now listen. I'm the son of God, I'm at work in the world, and I want you to be a part, I want you to go into the world, and I want you to tell them about what I've done and who I am. Imagine experiencing all that, you'd be pretty fired up too, right? And, and that's what that happened in the last three years, and that's why the, the, uh, the writer Luke wrote this, this book called Acts. He's like, I'm going to write this down because it's pretty phenomenal. Because they loved it. what they did was they loved um, they loved each other really well. They uh, Acts talks about how they ate together, they prayed together, they they, they would listen, they they would just spend time with the people who were closest to Jesus and be like, what did he say? What did he teach? What, what you know? I heard he said something about loving your enemy. Can you tell me about that? And so they just listened to the apostles. They were just together, like the the book of Acts says, they were just together, <clears throat> like all the time. Um, they also. They, they didn't keep the Jesus thing just to themselves. They, they loved the people around them really, really well. People who were sick, 
found, like if they found themselves in the presence of, of, of these Jesus followers, they were no longer sick. So you can imagine that people who were sick heard about this. They're like, I'm going to go see those guys. And so all these sick people were being healed. They, they fed people. They, it says this in Acts that, that the people who had extra either sold their extra or just gave their extra to people who didn't. So like poverty was gone. Take that poverty. It's, you know, in this group, it just evaporated. Um, it said that, that, uh, that, um, that they've lived in such a way that everybody around, all the people around them found favor, uh, had favor for this group of Jesus followers. They didn't quite believe what they believed, but they're like, I like them. And in just a few short months, this tiny church, this, this, this gathering of people exploded into this mega movement where, where people were, were, were being baptized and believing that Jesus was the Christ. Um, the story isn't without conflict, though. There's, there's some conflict that came along the way. First, imagine they, they were feeding thousands of people um, every, because they were, they were giving. People were giving what they had. Um, they were feeding thousands of people, and there was one point in time where there was a group of widows who were not getting fed. They just weren't getting food for whatever reason. It wasn't on purpose. It was just an, an accident. And the leaders, the apostles, heard about this. Somebody said, hey, there's this problem. They're like, man, we can't be thinking about that all the time. So they did a really good leadership move. They said, hey, you go find seven godly men among you and, and put them in charge of making sure that this problem it solved, and, it, and they did, and it worked, and it solved the problem. One of those men was named Stephen. And I'm not going to go into his story all, all that much, but, but Stephen, it says that he was full of, of the, the Spirit, that, that, he was, uh, that there was something about him, and this is kind of cool. Stephen was waiting on tables. He was making sure widows were being fed, but he, and we don't have the details, but he did it in such a way. He loved where he lived through his vocation so well that that literally people were taking notice and like he actually got him in trouble like because he was preaching Jesus and he was healing people and to the point where something happened we don't know the details but but the 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 religious rulers in that in Jerusalem at that time pulled him in and said what are you doing and and Stephen just boldly started preaching Jesus and 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 he started boldly saying you know honestly Jesus is the one that you guys killed and, and, and uh, that's the guy I'm preaching. But it's good news because he rose from the dead. What you did didn't work. And that got him kind of mad and fired up. And so this group f- grabbed Stephen, dragged him out of town. And it probably happened something like this. One of the guys grabbed a stone and threw it at Stephen, like a, a stone. And then another guy did, and another guy did, and to the point where Stephen was dead. Well, what happened next kind of rocked this little this big little church this 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 fledgling young church it says this this is um this is in acts 8 verse 1 on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout judea and samaria to put this into context imagine if there's a group of people in denver and all of a sudden things i mean imagine it got so bad. I mean, this is a persecution where everybody left. I mean, they were so targeted as Christians that they didn't feel safe in this town and everybody fled. They went to where, where their relatives were probably to get away, except for the, the apostles. It would be like if there was a group of people in Denver, a couple thousand people in Denver, 
that started to get so discriminated against and there's so much violence towards them, they, they just sprinkled themselves throughout the front range and even the western slope. That's kind of like what happened here. And imagine being one of these apostles, one of these leaders, and being like, what the heck just happened? Like it was going so well and now we're totally disconnected. And imagine the despair. Imagine like trying to figure out what to do Next, and then it says a couple verses later in in verse 4, that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. In other words, the persecution, the the discouragement of, of of, of what had just happened did not stop them from loving where they lived, wherever they lived. And something happened. It actually was probably the best thing that could ever happen to this young church was they scattered. Put that other picture up. This is what happened. Jerusalem is the epicenter. A couple thousand people, a few thousand, maybe up to 10,000 people were in Jerusalem saying, I, 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 we, we're, we're going to follow Jesus in the way that he talked about loving your enemy and loving each other and loving. We're going to do that in Jerusalem. And then after the, the, the persecution broke out, it was like they, they got spread out. I, I heard it explained this way. I thought it was so good. I think this is in college, actually. A prof was talking about this era and what happened in the early church. And he's like, it's kind of like when you're putting out a fire. They were trying to put out the fire of this Jesus movement and stomp it down, right? And if you ever you know, tried to put out a campfire, one of the things you do is you spread out the coals so that they don't have the heat heating each other. And then they go out after a time. That works in theory. It doesn't work. It would work this time of year. It won't work in two months when you want to put out a fire and we haven't had rain in a few weeks and it's dry and it's arid. If you threw coals everywhere to get rid of the fire, you're not going to get rid of the fire, are you? It's going to burn. And that's exactly what happened with this group of people is they burned wherever they went. They loved where they lived. Um, the, 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 I was going through the, the book of Acts and, and just writing down all the cities that they visited, that the different people visited. Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, Ethiopia, Samaria, Damascus, Caesarea, Perga, Macedonia, Iconium, Syria, Lystra. I'm going to stop listing names that you have no clue where they are. I'm just trying to, that was, like, that was just like two minutes of flipping through the pages. There's more. Put that picture back up. That, you know, like these are places they went. I can't even pronounce half of those. But like it's all over modern day Turkey, uh, all over like the Middle East and Saudi Arabia and, and Egypt and that kind of stuff. The long and the short of it is um, Paul planted churches in Athens, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth. There's churches in Laodicea and Philadelphia, not in Philly, different Philadelphia. It, it, all over, the long and the short of it is Paul may have actually gotten as far as modern day Spain before he died. Um, we know that, one, uh, that, that the message got down all the way to Ethiopia and Africa on the southern side. We think that Thomas might have t- the, the Apostle Thomas might have taken as far as India in his lifetime. There, there's, there's, there's thoughts that maybe it even reached modern-day England within one generation of, of, of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. All because people love where they live. Uh, literally, this is, and this isn't just biblical history. Like You can find this in the Bible, but you can find this outside of the Bible. There's a sociologist named Rodney Stark. 
um, who's a, a professor at uh, University of Washington who studies religious trends. And he set out to kind of study, like, like how did this happen? And he, he, records, he records that in the, the first, uh, that Christianity grew by 40% every decade for over 300 years. Okay, to put that into perspective, it went from a few thousand people in like 40, you know, like 30, 40 AD to over 30 million people in 350 AD, which Rodney Stark says that's half, that's over 50% of the Roman Empire by 350 called themselves a Christian. All because a group of people decided they're going to love where they live. They're not just going to live where they live. They're going to look and see how God is already active where they live and see what they can use if they can use their location, vocation, vacation, and donation to be a part of it. And they did what it took. Just so you know, spoiler alert, it, it costs them something. Someone like died for it. Good news is we probably won't have to die for it, but it will cost us something. But here's the good news. We're mountain folk. We know what it's like to, you know, have to go through a little bit of hardship to live in a beautiful place. Here's the other good news. We're mountain folk. We're people who desire and long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And here we find the God of the universe, not only active in our town, but inviting us in and saying, will you be a part? It's up to you. You, you, want, to, you want in on this? Come with your location, vocation, vacation, and donation. Let's do this. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Uh, I want to um, end with this last slide. Go ahead and put it up. It's a map. And it's not just any map. It's a map of us. If, we, if, you have gotten your ad, our, if we have gotten your address in the past, there's a pin dropped for you where you live. It's kind of cool, isn't it? It's kind of hard to see, but like down those two pins drops on the end, that's like conifer. And then we got all the way up into Idaho Springs there, top left. We got Genesee top right. There's just a whole smattering of us throughout. What if, what if this wasn't an accident? What if at your pin drop, there's people around that God is hoping that you reach out to? Do you know your neighbor's names? Do, do you know their stories or just a, even a little bit of them? At, at work, is it, is it just work? Is it just going through the motions? Or, or is there a sense in you when you go to work what God has for me today. I wonder, wonder who's at work that needs me to talk, just to talk with them. And I'm not talking about handing them tracks. I'm not talking about pounding their heads with, over a Bible. That would not be love. I don't know what that would be, but it'd be something else where you live. I'm talking about love where you live. Love that they see as love. Like, yeah, this person, I don't believe what they believe, but I think they care for me. I know that they care about me. It's possible. Is it possible that right where you are, that you could use your time, your talent, your resources to love where you live and to join 
God where he's already working. That'd be a cool opportunity. And last thing. If a couple thousand people can literally, I mean, change the world, like, like the world has been it turned upside down by this thing called Christian faith, is it possible that if, if a couple thousand people can change the world, is it possible that a group of people this size could change a town? I don't think it's far-fetched. I think if, if we individually chose to love where we live, what would this place look like in a year? What... Who, who would be reached out? Who, who that is lonely would find friendship and connection? Who, who, that is far, who those of those who are far from God in, in our town, in our midst, would be able to maybe think about God differently because of the way we act? What might happen? If, if, I'm going to leave it there for today. This is all about why we should do this. If you're wondering how to do that, you have to come two weeks from now. Because that's what we're going to be talking about for the weeks to come, is how do we love where we live? And we're going to give you some practical, uh, practical advice, but also some practical opportunity. We're going to serve together as a church. Uh, we're, we're going to do things together and love where we live. Let me, let me say a prayer. God, you're good. Um, we're, we're thankful that you want to use us, that you, you, you called us. Um, Lord, for, for those of us that life's just kind of hard. Maybe it's not one particular thing. It's just kind of like a bunch of mind-numbing day-to-day uh, -day stuff. Would you meet us this morning as, as we, we sing songs and, and worship your name? Would you help us to, to see where you're at work and, and, and what maybe we can do to join you? Lord, would you be with Colorado Life Church in the weeks to come? I feel like being a part of this, I'm living the dream, Lord. To be a part of a group of people that are willing, willing to, to volunteer, to, to be a part of a church, to be a part of a, a group of people who are on the move. It's just such a blessing. Would you be with us in the coming weeks? I pray that you would help us as a church, not just as individuals, but as a church, step into what you have for us in the months to come. Lord, that we would be your hands, your feet, that just like, like people who are drawn to Jesus, that, that we're nothing like Jesus, I pray that people who are nothing like us would be drawn to us. Be with us, Lord. We need you. Amen.